You have been listening to sermon audio from Day 3 Church. We invite you to join us for one of our worship services. For more information, visit day3church.com. Probably we should have started this series about a week ago when it was really, really hot. Uh, not quite as hot as it's been, but it is still hot. It's that time of year. And, and before you maybe you know, whine too much, complain too much, the point of this series that we're doing this month is that it could be a lot worse because it could be something called hell. The Bible talks about it. We don't talk about it as much maybe in the church as we should anymore. But the Bible talks about a literal place called hell. A place where people go that do not know Christ as their Savior when they die. A place where people go for eternal judgment. Now, just in case someone's thinking, uh, you know, well, I don't know if I like that topic for a month. I'm going to encourage you today. In August, we're going to talk about five lies of the devil. <laughs> so you've got kind of two months of this type of stuff that we're going to deal with in uh, topics. And also, if you're thinking, well, that's, you know, talking about hell and things like that, that's a... Uh, a little bit uncouth in our sophisticated day, I want to remind you of something. Jesus talked about hell. Jesus had a lot to say about hell. And that's why we need to be aware of some things in the Bible. So what we're going to do uh, this month is just look at some passages in the New Testament that kind of deal with aspects of this topic called hell. I want to be really you know, straightforward with people up front. Uh, and, and that is... If you don't know Christ as your Savior, uh, as much as you might not like being told this, and I'm not telling you this trying to be judgmental, but as, li- as much as you might not like being told this, the Bible clearly says if you don't know Christ as your Savior, you will one day go to a place called hell. That's what the Bible teaches. That's what the Bible says. Today we're talking about this topic, hell, your eyes and your actions. And what I mean by that title, by that phrase, uh, is simply this. I mean that the things that you look at and the things that you do can affect your life in a negative way. The things you look at and the things that you do. Next slide, please, uh, on that. Um, We're going to be reading this passage of Scripture here in just a moment. But the things that you look at and the things that you do can put you on a slant toward a place called hell. Now, if you're a Christian, you might be thinking to yourself, that doesn't apply to me because I know Christ is my Savior. And that's true. If you know Christ is your Savior, you're not going to a place called hell. But you need to recognize that you, by the things you look at and the things that you do, can act like people that are on the pathway to hell. I mean, isn't it regrettable that sometimes we as Christians look like people that aren't Christians? We as Christians sometimes act like people that don't know Christ. And by our choices and the things we look at and the things that we do. Now, if you are not a Christian, you need to be really concerned and and serious about this message and this whole series today. Because if you're not a Christian, the things you look at and the things that you do can more solidify your journey on the way to hell. It can put you on a slippery path that's going in that direction really fast. Here's what the Bible says in John three sixteen through 18. 
For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. Before we move beyond that, and that's not our text today for the message, but I want to bring it up and point out to you that the reason that you are condemned if you have never received Christ as your Savior is not just because of what you look at. It's not really because of your actions. Those things just show that you are a sinner. But the Bible says the reason you are condemned and the reason you would go to a place called hell if you never received Christ as your Savior is this. It's because you've not believed in Jesus. The Bible says there, God loved you so much He sent His Son to die on the cross for your sins. That's how much God cares for you. He doesn't want you to go to a place called hell. He didn't send His Son to condemn you. He sent His Son in order that you might be saved by trusting in Him. And whoever believes in Him is not condemned. And we love that part of it. But the second part of that verse says this, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already. It's not that one day you will be condemned if you don't receive Christ as your Savior. Right now, today, if you don't know Christ as your Savior, you are already condemned. You already stand condemned today if you don't know Him as your Savior. And that's what I want you to see up front before we go on into this message. I realize it's July the 4th. And we need to be concerned also about our nation because, guys, the pattern of our culture today, uh, we're really tied up in things we look at. We're really tied up. Our nation is tied up in looking at wrong things. Our nation and the culture that we have here is really tied up in doing wrong things. And the Bible gives us a warning, not just for individuals, when it comes to this topic called hell. The Bible gives us a warning about nations even. Because here's what the Bible tells us. Look at this verse. The wicked shall be turned into hell. And then look at the last part of it. And all the nations that forget God. Our nation, by, by the slant we're on, by, by our culture, by the focus that so many people have. We're just bombarded in our culture by images to look at that lead to wrong actions. And we need to recognize that as we think about July the 4th. I, I want to stop and say I thank God for our freedoms. I thank God for our country. And guys, yes, you know, we used to be a country that had a really, really, really strong Christian heritage. But I'm telling you, we're slipping away from that. And we need to be concerned about the way our nation is so tied up in looking at wrong things and taking wrong actions. The passage of Scripture we're going to be in today is this. Matthew chapter 5, if you want to turn in your Bibles with me. Matthew chapter 5, verse 27 through 30. And I'm going to read the verses as we go through the message instead of really taking time to read them now. But uh, as we look at these verses, Matthew 5, 27 through 30, I want us to notice some serious implications that we can find there about our eyes, what we look at, about our actions, what we do, and this place called hell. Looking at some serious implications. Here's serious implication number one. If you're taking notes, the updates that you were given today, open it up on the inside. There's some blanks you can fill out to take home with you. If you're taking notes, here's your first blank. 
Our first serious implication is this from our passage of Scripture that we're going to be reading. God has clear standards of righteousness. God has very clear standards of righteousness. In other words, God has standards clearly that tell us what's right and what's wrong. God clearly tells us things that are sin that are wrong and things that are good that He wants us to be about. God doesn't wink at sin. He doesn't ignore sin. He will deal with sin. If you want the reality of that, just look at Jesus on the cross. You want to see how much God will deal with sin. That's how He dealt with it. And if you by faith believe in Jesus, you can have eternal life. That's how much God hates sin. He put His Son on a cross. If you want to see an image of God dealing with sin. But if you don't receive Him by faith, God will deal with sin in your life by judgment out in the future. God has clear standards of righteousness. Look at these verses. You've heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. I mean, the Bible says there, you have heard it said. It talks about the act of adultery, and then it goes on, and it's talking about kind of an attitude of adultery. So let's break it down in those two ways. According to the Bible, the act of adultery is sin. God has clear standards of righteousness in a lot of areas, guys. I'm just pulling one out because it's in our text today. One standard that God has of righteousness is in the marital relationship. It is in the sexual relationship. God created sex. God created marriage. He sets up guidelines to protect both. In the Bible, they are said that we've heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. Here's why you've heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. Because God's the one that said it in the Ten Commandments. He said, you shall not commit adultery. I mean, it's kind of straightforward there. It doesn't say, well, maybe sometimes it's right. Maybe sometimes it's wrong. He clearly says, you shall not commit adultery. The act of adultery is a sin. Now, technically, here's what adultery means. It means a married person having sex with someone that is not their marital spouse. It means a man having sex with someone that is not his wife. He's married and he's having sex with someone else other than his wife. She's married and she's having sex with someone other than her husband. And the Bible calls that clearly wrong. The Bible calls it a sin. It is an act that is a sin. The act of adultery is sinful. Now, some people question, well, why? Because they just want to fulfill their desires and what they think they want to do in life. Here's why it's wrong. It never stops with the guilty party. You see, God, every time He gives us a command, it's always for our benefit. It destroys marriages. Not only does it destroy marriages, it goes beyond the context of that single act because when it becomes known, it hurts more than just the two people that were involved. It hurts everyone else that's connected with them. Their family, their friends are affected by that when it happens. That's why God says it's wrong. I think another reason why God says adultery is wrong is this. The Bible tells us without any doubt, he doesn't mince any words, that marriage is like a living illustration or a picture of the relationship that exists between Christ and the church. 
So he wants us to be representing that in a pure way because if the wedding and the marriage is a picture of our relationship to Jesus, then that's why he's telling us the act of adultery is clearly wrong. It's also wrong, guys, because it affects the individuals involved. They have the guilt that hits them sometime later. The judgment that hits them and the passion of the moment. All they're thinking about maybe is feeling good or having fun or fulfilling the desires that they think they have in their body. But later on comes the guilt from that. And you have that type of judgment that hits the individual's lives. And here's ultimately why it's wrong. It's against God's will. It's against God's will. God clearly says that it's wrong. He says that you shall not commit adultery. Now, while adultery itself technically is a married person having sex with someone that is not their spouse, in this particular passage of Scripture, Jesus appears to be using this phrase adultery, talking about all sexual impurity. And here's why. He used the word anyone. He said, if anyone does this, if anyone goes beyond just, you know, this act of adultery, if they just are thinking about it, if they're looking about it, he uses the word anyone. And I think by that, he's talking about sexual impurity completely. And the reason I bring that up is this, since I just talked about married people a minute ago and gave you the definition of what adultery is, there might be someone here thinking, oh, I'm not married yet. So I'm not married yet. This isn't for me. I don't need to listen to this because I'm not married yet. Well, I think Jesus uses this in a way that speaks about sexual impurity in general. But here's the deal, guys. The Bible also clearly says that any doubt premarital sex is wrong outside the bonds of marriage. It is wrong because God says it's wrong. The act of adultery is sin. Now, Jesus goes deeper than that. Jesus does not just tell us here in this passage of Scripture, the act of adultery is sin. He tells us the attitude. The attitude of adultery is sin. Because in verse 28, he said, But I tell you, after he said, You've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. He says, But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. It's not just the action. It's not just an issue of you and I controlling our bodies to where we don't actually act out the sin. Jesus goes deeper than that. And he's letting us know that this sin is also a sin of the heart. It's something that also starts within our heart. That's why he's telling us that we need to do more than control our body. Jesus is letting us know we need to control our inner thoughts and our desires. And here's the reason for that. If you think about something long enough, eventually you're going to order up a plate of it in your life. Uh, You ever really wanted food from a certain restaurant? Or maybe a certain food prepared at your home? And you think about it, you don't have it available to you right now. You think about it, and you think about it, and you think about it. You know what eventually you're going to do? You're going to go buy it and have it available to you. I don't know what's been going on with me this year with, with, with watermelons. I, it, it's really Angie Crump's fault because we were over at their house and she came out with some watermelons that, uh, you know, Clay, that, that her daughter uh, dates, her daughter Brittany dates and things like that. And she told me where it was from. So uh, I, I've got a watermelon fetish this year or something. I don't know what it is. 
But, uh, you know, she had some over there at their house, so I had to go buy one. And normally in a summer, an average summer, you know, we may buy, uh, you know, three watermelons all summer long. Uh, I, I think I've bought eight in the last month and a half and, uh, and everything because I just, and, and maybe it's because the doctor changed my diet and I'm thinking that's something I can't eat, you know, and, and, and everything, but I just had it on my mind. So I've been going by and it making it available to me. Uh, some of you probably won't like this because a lot of you think, Ooh, sushi, but I actually like sushi. And I had that on my mind a little bit lately and everything. So yesterday I went and because I've been thinking about it, thinking about going back and getting some sushi. So I went and made sure I had a plate of sushi available to me. I thought about it and I thought about it and I thought about it. And then here it is, plated up. And, and that's I think, gives you an illustration of why Jesus warns us about thinking about adultery, thinking about Lust outside the relationship of marriage. Because if you think about it long enough, and you think about it long enough, and you think about it long enough, you're going to be prone to order you a plate up. And before you know it, the things that were just a thought within your mind, within your body, all of a sudden become reality. And someone says, well, what if I never acted out? You know, is it a problem then? Yes, that's what Jesus is saying. You don't have to act it out for it to be wrong. If the action is wrong, thinking about it all the time is wrong. Jesus is actually condemning guys for us not to sit around and think about that all the time because he said you're committing adultery in your heart already. This is part of his Sermon on the Mount. And all through the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus sets the standard higher. I mean, he likes brings up the topic that the conventional wisdom is of that day and then he raises the bar a little bit. In other words, I mean, look, look at this next slide. In other words, when Jesus said this, when Jesus, you know, said, you know, you, it's been said, don't murder. You know, everyone understood you're not supposed to murder somebody. Jesus raises the bar and he says, don't hate. And here's the deal with that. If you have hate in your heart, that's what leads to murder. If you allow hatred and bitterness to seed inside of your life, that can ultimately lead to actions that can lead to murder before you realize what's happened. Jesus says, you've heard that you're not supposed to commit adultery. So here's the deal, Jesus is saying, don't lust. Don't be lusting after someone that you cannot, in a righteous relationship, have sexual relations with. Because if you do that, if you are lusting, and you're filling your mind and your heart with lust, it will become an action. It will become something that you wind up carrying out in your life. And he's warning us that not just the act of adultery is a sin, but also the attitude of adultery is a sin. He's condemning it because if we're not careful, we'll sit around and deliberately think about things and have fantasies in our mind that if we don't guard, will become acted out in our lives. See, in the Ten Commandments, Jesus did say to not commit Adultery. God said to not commit adultery. But he also said this. He also said don't covet. Go back to the Ten Commandments and here's what the Bible says there. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his manservant or maidservant, his ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. He's talking about coveting in general but did you notice there in the phrase he's saying don't covet your neighbor's wife don't be lusting after someone that is not yours don't be lusting after someone that is not your spouse 
Guys, don't be lusting after someone that you're not married to. Ladies, don't be lusting after someone that you are not married to. The reason we're told not to covet is because the other things that's talked about, many of the things talked about in the Ten Commandments, start there. It starts with us coveting something to where we'll steal it. Coveting something to where we commit adultery. It starts in our heart, and that's why it tells us not to covet. The word lust in our text means this, to set the heart upon to long for, to covet, to desire. I want you to look at what the root word means. It's a compound word in the Greek language. And the root word for lust, the first part of the word means upon or over. The second part of the word means passion or breathing hard. I mean, it's almost like that root word gives you an image of something taking place in a sexual act. He's saying that we should not lust like that. We should not have that type of passion. The word lust means a desire for an illicit relationship. He's talking about a relationship with someone that you are not married to. And he's telling us that not only the act is wrong, the desire is wrong. Some people are twisted enough. There are, I, I promise you, I've met some of them. Are twisted enough to read passages of Scripture like this and think, well... If it's actually sin for me to think about it, I might as well go ahead and do it. And try and use that as an excuse. But if I commit adultery, it's a sin. If I think about adultery, committing adultery with somebody, it's a sin. So I guess I might as well just go ahead and do it. So why not do it? Here's why not do it. Number one, God says it's wrong. Number two, the thing that is in your heart now becomes reality and it is infecting your life in a negative way. It's affecting somebody else's life in a negative way and it's affecting people around you in a negative way. It will eventually hurt and traumatize them. That's why you don't do it. That's why just because it says you think about it, it's a sin. If you do it, it's a sin. Why not do it? You shouldn't do it because of how it affects people. Guys, I want to deal with our country again just for a moment, and then we're going to move on to the message. Our country, in the day and time that we live in, is pretty much sex crazy. Now, is there anything wrong with sex? No. I said earlier, God created sex. He created it to be practiced in the bonds of marriage. But if you look at our culture and everything that's being made available visually and in other ways in our culture today, we need to wake up and understand that our nation is missing a very important fact. The very God that created us, the very God that created this universe that we live in, the all-powerful, almighty God of the universe says, I have some clear standards of righteousness. I have clear standards that you need to pay attention to. That's the first serious implication. Second serious implication today is this. What you look at affects what you do. What you look at, especially if you look at it long enough, it will impact choices that you make in your life. We're told this in those same verses that we just read. You've heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. It starts out as a look. It starts out 
as looking at someone, not the act to begin with. It starts out with a look. Do you realize the stuff that you look at and the stuff that you bring in affects the way you think? It affects your thinking process. And then your thinking process will affect what you act out in your life. If you constantly look at the wrong stuff, your mind's going to think about the wrong stuff. And that's going to open up the door for you to do the wrong stuff in your life. Guys, it's almost like this. It's almost like our eyes are a video camera to our brain and to our heart. And the stuff that we are looking at comes inside of us. It doesn't go in and leave. It comes inside of us. You think about it, if you'll be honest, there are things that all of us have seen that we probably should not have looked at, guaranteed we shouldn't have looked at, that we can still remember today. There's an image planted there. There are things that I can think of that I looked at and saw as a teenager that I can still bring up the image in my mind of what it looked like. Because we've got this computer in our head called the brain that God put in there. Amazing computer. And whatever comes through our eyes is being registered in this brain of ours. And if we keep looking at stuff long enough, long enough, long enough, it's putting a big data bank inside of our brain. And that's going to wind up busting forth sometimes in the way that we behave and in the things that we do. Let me illustrate that just for a moment. See, the enemy realizes this. Satan, the enemy, understands that we're very visually oriented. And that's why he's doing all that he can in our culture to present us with images that load up in our mind and give us more of a possibility to stumble. couple of examples. Number one, Internet. On the Internet today. And I'm not talking about just people that intentionally are going looking at wrong things on the Internet. You can have something like a Twitter account. And someone log on to be following you in the Twitter account. If someone logs on to follow you that you don't know very much about in the Twitter account, can I suggest something to you? Don't click on their link. Because their link may very well take you someplace you do not want to go. Now, on my Twitter account, I'm set up, you know, and it clearly says I'm a pastor and everything like that. And most of the people come on, I kind of look at it and figure out, you know, they're part of a ministry. But guess what? I don't know everybody that comes here in a given week or in a given month. So someone, because the information is there in the updates, someone may decide to log on and follow me. You know what I've had happen a couple of times? Someone has logged on to follow me, and I'm thinking maybe someone visited the church, and I clicked on it, and it took me to a to a window of opportunity, had I clicked again upon their link, it would have gone directly to a porn site. Now, why is that so easy in our culture today? The enemy knows the more we look at it, the more it gets planted in our mind, and the more propensity we have to live it out in our life. Second example of that, television. In our day and time, guys, The advertisers use sexy images to sell anything under the sun. There's going to be some scantily clad young lady there trying to sell stuff. I mean, it would surprise me if they start having those, you know, ladies to sell toilet paper and things like that. You know, they're just trying to get our attention, our focus. Ladies, it's not just headed toward the men. 
They've got these guy models on there with a six-pack or 12-pack or 18-pack abs, whatever it is. That's there trying to get you to look. It's designed in a way to try and draw us in, to get these images planted in our mind. Now, I want to tell you up front, guys, I'm not, you know, don't, don't get worried that I'm getting wacky on you. I'm not going to tell you to go home and burn your computer and burn your television. Legal, you know, I've been around some legalistic people that would take that approach and they think it solves it. I knew a guy one time that had a television and yet because he wanted to have an image in the particular church that he was in of being clear and above that, they would put the television in the closet covered up with a quilt, especially when they thought somebody was coming. But when they knew no one was around, they'd pop the television out and turn it on. Let's see, I wonder if God knew it was in the closet. I mean, who are we trying to oppress anyway, people or God? So I'm not going to tell you to go home and, and burn that stuff. That's a reaction that, you know, uh, some people will take, go home and burn it. I am telling you this, though. Jesus clearly warns us here, we better be careful what we look at. We better be careful what we focus on so much because if we're not careful, the stuff that we will look at will break out in our lives in very, very negative ways. He said, I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. The word for looks in the Greek means this. It's in a tense in the Greek that emphasizes the purpose of the look. In other words, you're looking for the sole purpose of trying to lust. You're looking for that intent. Jesus isn't telling us it's absolutely wrong just to recognize beauty or to look at someone. I, I think a man, you know, if, if he's in his, in his right spiritual mind, he can look and, and realize that a woman's beautiful and not lust. It's maybe the second look that causes the problem. The third look that causes the problem. Jesus in this passage of Scripture is not telling us that we shouldn't have a, a healthy desire for a sexual relationship in particular with someone you're married to. That's the only way you can fulfill it without it being a sin. He's not telling us that that is wrong. He's telling us we need to be careful where we look and what we look at and how often we look and what we're thinking about as we look because the word itself literally means to look with the purpose of lusting. It's not just a glance. It's a repeated glance. It's a glance with intent involved. It's a glance where someone is looking and, and they have lust in their heart as they are looking. Jesus said, if that's what you're doing, it said that person has already committed adultery with her in his heart. In the Greek language, the word already has means literally even now. Think about that. You're looking at a woman and you're lusting after her. Or you're looking, ladies, at a man and you're lusting after him. Jesus isn't saying it might be a sin down the road. Jesus is saying even now, right then, in that instant, you have sinned. In that instant, it is though you have committed adultery already in your heart. So first of all this morning, we need to recognize God has clear, clear standards of righteousness, clear standards of righteousness. That's our first serious implication. Secondly, we need to recognize this. We need to be careful what we look at. We need to guard what we look at because what we look at can affect what we do. The third serious implication is this. 
Don't let anything cause you to go to hell. Don't let anything to cause you to go to hell. A lot of times people will break out the verses that I've been dealing with. And they'll talk about adultery and lust in a message. And then people will just pull down here and pull these verses out about hell and deal with them in a separate message. Guys, it's all linked together in one sermon. Jesus does not miss a breath here. He's talking about adultery being a sin and someone lusting after someone being like they committed adultery in their heart already. And then it goes right into the next statement and Jesus starts talking about hell. That's why the title of the message is this. We need to be careful about our eyes and our actions because these things are connected in a negative way. If we're looking at the wrong stuff, thinking the wrong stuff, doing the wrong stuff, is directly connected to this warning that Jesus gives us about hell. Look at these verses. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Over in Mark's gospel, he throws the foot in also. What, what in the world is, is Jesus saying? I mean, guys, these words that are being said here are not made up by, you know, somebody that's just legalistic and wanting to say, you're going to hell. These words are said by the one who is love incarnate. Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, the humble, loving Lamb of God that came and went to the cross for us because He loved us so much. Jesus is the one that says these words. I mean, think about these words. These words could almost serve like a, a partial script to a horror movie. You've got these images put before us. You have an image of someone going up to a mirror and they're standing in a mirror. And because they're so distraught over what they've been looking at with their eye, as they look at themselves in the mirror, they just reach in and they gouge their eyeball out and they throw it away. You've got the image of someone who is so distraught over the actions that they have in their life that they go and they sit down and they're so upset about the sin that this right hand has been doing that they cut it off and they throw it away. That's pretty graphic. Why in the world would Jesus be saying stuff like this? Well, up front, let me be sure you hear this. Jesus is not literally telling you to do this. There have been instances of people that took this to heart literally. I know of a college student at a Bible college about 20 years ago. They got so upset over what he had been looking at with his eyes that he took a fork and he literally gouged out his eye. That's not what Jesus is telling us to do. I think what is happening here is this. I think Jesus is using a little shock therapy. I think Jesus is really wanting to get our attention. And what he's telling us is this. Don't let anything cause you to go to hell. Don't let your eye, don't let your hand, don't let your foot, don't let what you look at, don't let what you think about, don't let your actions that you have ruling in your life, don't let those things cause you to go to a place called hell. Jesus is getting our attention. 
He's speaking figuratively here. He's not telling us we ought to literally go through some type of surgery, in physical surgery in our lives. I think he's telling us this. We need to do some spiritual surgery. If you recognize spiritually that your eye is causing you a problem, you need to deal with that. If you recognize the, you know, the actions that you have in your life are causing you a spiritual problem and they're taking you away from Jesus instead of toward Jesus, you need to deal with that. That's what he's saying to us. He's trying to get our attention. For a Christian, he's telling you, don't let your eye take you away from me. He, he can't literally take you away from Him before you lose your salvation. But I'm talking about from the intimate relationship. From wanting to have day-to-day contact and fellowship with God. Don't let your hand, don't let what you're doing. Don't let anything cause you to go to a place called hell. Guys, hell's a terrible place. And that's even screwed up in our culture today. Because there are, you know, you know, bands that have done songs, I'm on a highway to hell, like, oh boy, this is where I get to go. Or yeah, I recognize I'm going to go to hell. I've had people tell me this, yeah, I know I'm going to go to hell, but my friends are going there, and we're just going to go there and have a party. Sorry. It's not going to happen. It's not a place where anyone's going to go have a party and the devil be there helping throw a party for you and your friends. Hell is a terrible place to go. Jesus even alludes to it like this over in Mark's gospel after he says virtually the same type of things that we're looking at today in Matthew. He says this, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. It's a place of suffering. It's a place of torment. It's a place that no one would want to go there. We'll deal with this later on this month, the actual text that I'm talking about. But when you get over in Luke's gospel and you've got, you know, the rich man there in Lazarus, the rich man died and he went to hell and he's in a place of torment and he's begging for somebody, you know, just to come and drop a little bit of water on his tongue. It's not a place of fun. It's not going to be a place of partying. It's going to be a place of eternal punishment. And that's the image that Jesus has given here. Help us understand what he's talking about a little bit more. Let's break it down and look at some of the words here in, uh, in that verse. Look at the next slide. We'll do a couple of word studies. When he says, if your right eye offends you or causes you to sin, depending on your translation, or your right hand uh, is causing you to sin or it's, or it's offending you, it's the word in the... Greek that we get our English word scandal from. The word means to entrap, to trip up, to stumble, to be enticed to sin, to offend you or cause you to commit an offense, doing something that you know is offensive and is offensive to someone else. Here's what the root word means that it's built from. It means a trap stick, like a bent sapling. You've seen on, on television things where people will, you know, bend a tree over and have a rope around it. And if you come through and you hit the trap, it lets the tree come up and that snare catches whatever it is. Or it's like the, the, the lever inside of a trap that causes the door to shut. We, uh, I don't know where they come from, we've never had them before, but all of a sudden, about two months ago, we started having issues with, uh, with raccoons, and you don't ever know if they're rabbit or not. I mean, all of a sudden, they start, you know, not caring if they're coming up to our house, and they're climbing up and hanging out on our back deck a lot. 
And, uh, you know, the thing that was upsetting me is that I've got bird feeders out there not to feed raccoons, to feed birds. And if you bought any bird seed lately, it's not cheap anymore when you go out to buy the bird seed. So I was wanting to conserve it for that. So I thought, well, what am I going to do with them? So I found out that, that Matt, my son-in-law's uh, father, had a trap that they had bought. One of these, you know, steel traps. So I went and I picked it up and I put it out there. And you set it and there's a place inside of it you put food beyond. And, and when the animal steps on that part of the trap, the lever, the trigger to the trap, the door is closed and it can't get out. Well, it was out there a couple of nights. And then I think I'm here, we're having a leadership meeting, worship team meeting or something. And, and my wife calls me and, and tells me we have trapped a raccoon on the back porch. And uh, guys, that thing was doing everything it could trying to get out. You know, so much so his gums was bleeding, trying to chew it away out. Or, you know, his paws were even bleeding, trying to scratch and find a way to get out. I called Mike Griffey because I was going to give it to Mike Griffey the next day because he trains some coon dogs. Some of us at day three are rednecks, okay? And I was going to give it to Mike, and he called me the next morning. He was on his way over there to get it early. So I go look at it on the back deck, and the thing is gone. And somehow I have yet, you know, maybe God let it loose, I don't know. But there's this lever you have to squeeze, and it's all I can do to squeeze it with one hand to get it to open the back door to where it can come out. It let itself out somehow and was gone. But I saw the fear in that animal's face when it was trapped, in the way it was acting, why it was trapped. And the image that Jesus has given us by using this word is this. We need to understand something. What we look at can trap us. The, the, the choices that we make in our life can trap us. They can be like triggers that all of a sudden shut the cage on us. And then we're wishing we had not gone in. We're wishing we had not been attracted by whatever it was. We're wishing that we were not inside the trap. And we're like that animal, frantic, trying to get out. But we've gotten ourselves trapped in a situation because there was a trigger there that attracted us. And we went in and we stepped on it. See, I think what Jesus is telling us here is this. We need to do away with the trigger. If there's something in your life that you're looking at that triggers you to commit sin, that triggers you to lust, you need to get rid of the trigger that's there in your life that's causing you the problem. If there's something in your life, some action, some relationship that you have in your life that's causing you to sin, recognize it's like a trigger there. And guys, the problem is it actually leads to scandal when those types of things happen. The root word means this, to bend or to bow. You don't know what ultimately happens when we give in to sin, when we give in to lust, when we've looked at something long enough and we've thought about it long enough until we play around with it and all of a sudden we have stepped on the trigger and now we're trapped? Really what you've done is this, you have bent away from where God would have you to go and it's like you were bowing down to something other than God. You're caught in a relationship, you're caught in a situation where you're bowing to something that is less than God's best for your life. You're bowing to something that is not what God had you built for in this life. And He gives us a warning and He says, don't let anything trap you. Don't let anything cause you to go to a place called hell. 
The word for hell in this passage of Scripture is Gehenna. Sometimes in the New Testament, the word would actually be Hades. And some translations, instead of saying the grave, uh, call it hell. And really what Hades is, is this. Hades is the hell for now. In other words, if you were to die lost, and you had not received Christ as your Savior, and you were to die right now, there's a place called Hades that you go to now. Ultimately, there's a place called the Lake of Fire, or Gehenna. After everyone is called up and brought before God and judged, those that are lost go to a place called Gehenna, and that's the hell for all eternity. It speaks of a place of everlasting torment. The word Gehenna does. It's the hell of all eternity. It's a lake of fire that you read in Revelation. <clears throat> it is built off of a word, Hinnom, which referred to the valley of Hinnom, which was a valley outside of the walls of Jerusalem. Outside the walls of Jerusalem, the valley of Hinnom was the local garbage dump for the city of Jerusalem. That's where they took all the refuse out, all the garbage, all the junk, all the dead carcasses. And Jesus uses that as an illustration of what hell is like. Because there in that garbage dump, in that day and time, it wasn't like our modern landfill. In a garbage dump in that day and time, there'd be a constant smoke going up, constant fires there. There would be dogs that would show up there at night and gnash their teeth. That's where that phrase comes from that Jesus uses in the Bible. They would come and gnash their teeth fighting over the food that they could find or the dead carcasses that are there. There would be rotting flesh from dead carcasses of animals that have been brought out and left in that valley. And that's where he's talking about the worm doesn't die because there there's a worm constantly climbing in and out of those carcasses. It's not a very pretty image. And Jesus uses it to help us understand hell is not a very pretty place. Hell is not anywhere that anyone would want to go and spend eternity. That's why he gives us a wake-up call here. And he's saying, not literally to do this. Don't literally gouge out your eye. Don't literally cut off your hand. But you need to understand something. He's saying hell is a very bad place to go. Get rid of all the triggers in your life that might be sending you in that type of direction. There's a uh, land crab in American Samoa. Uh, it's, some people call it the, the, the Malio, and uh, some people call it the Tupa. Uh, it just depends on which island you're on there. And it's got a, a particular characteristic about it. It hides out in a hole during the daytime. And during the night, it will climb out of the hole in the sand, and it will go down to the water to kind of refresh itself. And, you know, maybe kind of like take a bath in the salt water. And even drink the salt water because it can do it, because that's the way it was made, the type of crab that it is. They say, though, if this particular crab on the way to the water where it's going to refresh itself defiles itself in some way, steps in something that's nasty, gets a leg hung up or something like that, what it will do is this. It will take its pinchers and turn around and remove its own leg. So it can progress ahead toward the refreshment that it was looking forward to by going into the water. There are instances that scientists have seen to where one has become almost completely trapped and it'll sit there with its pinchers and cut every leg off and then drag itself back to its hole using its claws and then wait in the hole 
until new legs start to grow. But the new legs that start to grow take forever to be as powerful as the legs that used to be there. See, the reason I tell you that story is this. You and I as believers ought to be willing to identify things in our lives that are hindering our progress toward Jesus. And we need to be willing to snip them off. We need to be willing to do away with those things, cut those things out of our lives. Someone that has cancer will allow a doctor to remove the cancer from their body, to cut off a part of their body so the whole body can live. Someone that has a bad infection, gangrene or something like that, sets up in a limb, in a leg or whatever, then they have that choice. You cannot deal with it or it can kill you. Or you can cut it off and let the body live. I'm just telling you, we as believers, we need to be willing to identify things that are triggers in our lives that are hindering our progress toward Jesus and are making us look like the rest of the world, like we're living on a slant toward hell. We as believers, because Jesus was talking to His believers, to His followers on the Sermon of the Mount, we need to, as believers, be willing to cut things out of our lives, to have some spiritual surgery in our lives. To help us progress toward Jesus. But the deal is this, guys. The deal is this. It's really a hard issue. And that's our last serious implication this morning. It's really an issue of the heart. Back to verse 28. We've already seen it twice this morning. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her In his heart. See, in our hearts where we toy with things. In our heart is where sin is actually conceived. We delude ourselves into thinking because we look at something long enough and we're tempted long enough. And we start deluding ourselves into thinking no one knows. I've not performed the act. I've not carried it out. I've not actually done the sin. All I've been doing is thinking about it. So what's wrong with it? Nobody knows. It's just inside of my heart. No one really knows. See, here's what's so tragic about us taking that attitude and thinking as long as I don't do it, it doesn't hurt anyone for me just to think about it and harbor it in my heart. Here's what's so tragic about that. We are using the very capacity God gave us to reflect. To reflect about the wrong kind of stuff. God has given us the capacity to reflect in our minds and in our hearts, in our emotions, about things that He's done for us. He's given us a capacity to reflect upon how much He loves us. That Jesus went to the cross and died for our sins. All that God has done for us. Where do you be using our heart? That ought to be where He lives. Instead of putting Him to the side and allowing something else to sit in the throne room of our heart, we need to be using that part of our being that God gives us a capacity to think and reflect. We need to be using it to worship Him, to praise Him, to think about Him instead of thinking about these sinful things. Because the more and more and more we think about sinful things and lust after stuff and look at things that Jesus says are wrong in our lives, that the Bible says we should not be involved with, then that part of our life is becoming a increasingly toxic. 
That's why it's wrong just to think about it. If you belong to Christ, that part of you ought to be a holy, special place where Jesus rules on the throne and you are reflecting upon what He has done for you. You're worshiping Him. You're not worshiping some other image. You're not worshiping some woman or some image of pornography. You're not worshiping some man. You're not lusting after those things. Instead, what we ought to do is lust after our God. Lust after our relationship with Jesus. That's why I said it is a heart issue. There's more to it involved than just saying, I've not acted it out. Here's here's kind of a wake-up call truth that we need to look at. Our actions are only public representatives of our private sentiments. So what you're harboring in your heart can become an action. And if it never does become an action, it's still wrong because that's your private sentiment. That's what you're thinking about. That's what you're lusting after. And that part of your life ought to be there for God. It ought to be reserved for Him. So how can we get the victory over this kind of stuff? How can we actually win a victory? How can we get beyond this? Look at this verse in Hebrews and then we'll close. For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. In other words, what we need to be doing is taking the Word of God and putting ourselves underneath spiritual surgery. We need to allow the Bible to be like a surgeon's knife that goes into our spirit, into our soul, into these areas that are triggers, that are leading us in the wrong direction. And we need to apply the Word of God to our lives. We need to be spending enough time in the Word of God that we can't be deceived. It says it judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. We need to so much know the Word of God that when we have a wrong thought or a wrong tendency, a wrong temptation that hits our life, we know it's wrong because we understand the Bible says it's wrong. We need to let this judge what our thoughts are, what we're thinking, what our desires are, what our intents are, what our attitudes are. And if we would do that, we'd understand things like thinking about adultery is also sin. You don't have to just do it. Look what else it says. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. We tend to think that maybe we have this private part of our life. Here's the wake-up call, guys. There's nothing private between you and God. God sees it all. You can't find a dark enough room to hide in or a dark enough alley to hide in or a dark enough hotel room or a a place that's so secluded that God doesn't know the thing that you're involved with. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of Him to whom we must give account. So just maybe the way we find victory to looking at the wrong stuff and thinking about the wrong stuff until it becomes the wrong stuff in our lives is this. Every day, you need to be by yourself 
reading this Bible, asking God to speak to your heart. You need to be tucking this Bible away in your mind and in your heart because you're going to be tempted and you're going to have the desire to take the second look and the third look. Not just an innocent look. Oh, that's a pretty girl. But to think about, oh, I'd like to have sex with her. I'd like to have sex with him. And other things that we let get in our, our mind that Jesus says we need to be careful. Don't let anything you know, cause us to be on that slippery slope that looks like we're headed toward hell. If you're a believer, you can't go to hell. But the tragedy is this. You can't live like you're going there. The Bible talks about a sin unto death. You can't live in such a way God decides, I'm going to take you out of this world. Because you were so dishonoring me and so ruining your testimony, I'm going to take you out of this world. What we need to be doing is spending time with the Bible and allowing this Bible to reach deep down into our hearts and use it to judge the things that we're thinking about and the kind of attitudes that we have. And we need to operate day to day, moment by moment, under this awareness. We can't hide anything from God. He sees it all. He knows it all. So this morning, how's your heart today? If it's an issue of the heart, how's your heart today? Is Jesus there? Do you know for sure beyond any doubt that Jesus is in your heart? Are you allowing Him to rule your heart? Or are you misusing your heart by thinking about other things, by staying focused on the wrong kind of things? Where is your heart today? If you know Christ as your Savior, and there's no doubt that you know Christ as your Savior, that's great, but can I ask you a question? Where has your heart been this past week? Were there some days maybe you looked at things and gave it a second look and a third look that you should not have and it planted thoughts in your mind that should not have been there? And Jesus says it's not just the act that's wrong, it's actually thinking about it, thinking about it, thinking about it. That's also a sin. So where's your heart been this week? If you don't know Christ as your Savior, what needs to happen in just a few minutes as a band plays, and we have something we call an invitation, a time for you to make a decision, you need to recognize something. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, it's time for you to give your heart and your life to Jesus. Because there is a real place called hell. Guys, hell is real, but guess what? So is heaven. And you need to make the choice which place you want to go. Let's pray. Father, Lord, right now we ask you just to speak to us uh, clearly. God, we know you do that. You do it through your word. You clearly tell us that you have standards of righteousness. God, is clear, black and white, that there are things that are right and things that are wrong. And Lord, we know today that we can't fix it ourselves. We can't. We can't save ourselves. And Father, if there's someone here that's been trying to do that and they've just been trying to redo their own life, 
Help them to understand they cannot renovate their life, that they have to give it completely to you. To admit to you that they have sinned, that they fall short. Lord, if there's someone here this morning that's already condemned, as we read earlier in your Bible, if there's someone here today that's already condemned, right now, in this moment, they stand condemned because they've never believed in Jesus. Lord, I pray right in this moment you'd give them the faith that they need. To say, God, I'm a sinner. God, I can't save myself. God, I believe that you sent your son to die on the cross for my sins. And I'm going to trust in that and nothing else in order that I can be forgiven and have eternal life. God, right now in this moment, help us that already know you. To evaluate our hearts, to evaluate and be honest about the kinds of things we've been looking at. That we've been filing away in our mind. That we've been thinking about. God, help us if we've been thinking about wrong things, just to bring those wrong things to you right now. God, help us to do it before those, before those attitudes become actions. God, we pray for our nation. Lord, I pray that you would draw our nation back to you and send revival in America before it's too late. God, we're on such a slippery path as in our culture, we're so tied up by, by what we see and leading to wrong actions. God, there's so many destroyed families and hurt lives that just started by someone looking at something wrong and then thinking things that are wrong in our nation today. God, speak to us and draw us back to you as a nation. We ask these things in the name of Christ. Amen. The band plays. I will be here at the front and so will Daryl. If you're here and you don't know Christ as your Savior and you need to talk to someone and understand more about what it means to be a Christian, then we invite you to come. We'll be here at the front and we'll either talk to you ourselves or have someone come and explain to you more about what it means to know that you've trusted in Christ, to know that you have everlasting life. Those of us that already know Him, will you be honest today? Just evaluate right where you are in your seat, where your heart's been, what you've been looking at, what you've been taking in. Because, guys, it will affect the direction of our lives. We can know Jesus and still go in the wrong direction if we're looking at the wrong stuff and thinking about the wrong stuff. So right now, right where you are, evaluate. And guys, it may be good on this July 4th for all of us during this invitation to either where you stand or by coming up and slipping into this front area and kneeling and saying, God, help our nation. Turn our nation back to you. Or come and pray, God, help guard our eyes and help guard our minds. You are listening to Sermon Audio from Dayton Church. If you have any questions about God, faith, or our church, email us at info at dayfreechurch.com. And for more information, find us on the web at dayfreechurch.com.